Get Acts chapter 28 and put a marker at Hebrews 12. Acts 28 and Hebrews 12. So as we're launching this new facility and pointing ahead to the things that we're wanting to accomplish, really be in prayer for the next two big events, that is Easter Sunday. How many of you know people come to church on Easter that don't normally come to church? We have a great place to invite them to now. And then our grand opening is going to be May 19th, so be sure and mark that on your calendar. These, I'm calling these our launch sermons, so just a quick review of where we've been. First of all, we're going to preach Christ from this platform. Christ, crucified, risen again. That's the Savior that we preach. Praise God for that. Then we have to be a welcoming church. So I know that we've got some guests here today. I hope you all have felt tremendously welcomed. I hope that you know we are really glad you're here. The reason we built this building is for you. We had enough room for us. We need more. So that, that we're really glad that you're here, and we hope that you are welcomed today. Then we must heed the call of God on our lives. And the call of God isn't something that, that happens once and then goes away. God knew you and what everything that you would do and become when he called you. And the Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He loves you, and he's got a place for you in his work. So we are going to be preaching about the call of God in our lives. And then we're going to ground our preaching in biblical theology. And that is, we're not going to make anything up. If you find something in the Bible that no one else has ever found, you're wrong. So we're going to, we're going to ground our teaching in biblical theology. We're not trying to create a new thing. We are continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Amen? That's the heartbeat of what we're doing. And then we're going to live for Christ because the Bible says that because he lives, we live also. But then the apostle said, and now we live if you stand fast in the faith. So we live through Christ, but we also live through the people that we build up in the faith. So you can't really be a biblical Christian without investing in somebody else. So that's the heartbeat behind what we're doing. And then we're going to preach a message of hope. And then last week, we're going to hear the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, there are a lot of people that are looking for miracles. They're looking for signs and wonders. The Bible says that we are in this time, in this church age, that we are to hear the truth, to hear the truth, not see it. We're to hear it. And that we looked at that last week. If you have any questions about that, get that message. We, sh we show that there are four periods, just four periods in the scriptures where there were miracles, and we go through that. Now, what I want to look at today is some lessons from Rome, some lessons from Rome. Look at Acts chapter 28. The Bible says in verse 28, Be it known therefore unto you that, sal that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will what? Hear it. Let's try that again. And they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand some things from your word today. Lord, we all have questions. Then your word does give us the truth. So help us as we study this to learn some things. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the questions that arises for me as I read this is, 
why would God take Paul to Rome and then have him sit in jail for two years? When you think about how long this trip took, remember, he was in jail in Caesarea for two years. He had shipwrecks. He was beaten. He was stoned. All of the things that took place, the shipwreck that took place right before this, all of the things that God used to get Paul to Rome only to have him put in prison and sit in prison for two years. Well, it wasn't prison. It was a house jail. He had to have a guard with him. He wasn't allowed to leave the house. Why would God have him go through all of this work and then just have him confined? He couldn't walk all around Rome preaching the gospel. He couldn't go into the synagogues as his manner was, according to Acts chapter 17. Isn't it interesting, though? He didn't go to the synagogue. The synagogue came to him. But there are some things about this. First of all, how many of you noticed that the end of the book of Acts is kind of anticlimactic? Isn't that interesting? Let's look at the last verse. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Man, we don't hear about him getting out of prison. We don't hear about the books that he wrote. We don't hear about any of those things. He's just in jail teaching the word of God to anybody that would come to his house. There's a couple of things that I want you to see from this. Number one, there's no apostolic succession here. The story ends. The story just ends. One of my commentators said that um, it's possible that Luke was expecting to write a third book. Now, remember, his first book was, this one's hard. Which, which first book did Luke write? Luke. And then this is the second book that he wrote, the book of Acts. And this writer that I was reading, I think it was Alexander McLaren, he thought that maybe Luke had anticipated writing a third book. You know what's interesting? Maybe he did. But it was not inspired by God or preserved by God and put into our record. So a couple of things that I want us to learn from this. Why would God allow this to happen? First of all, pretty interesting, the end of the story is almost never as we would have written it. The end of the story is almost never as we would have written it. Man, I would have had the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel to Rome, the the Caesar getting saved, and the entire world turned upside down, and billboards and all kinds of things to the great ministry of the Apostle Paul. He would have rented out a basketball stadium and turned it into his church. Like Joel Osteen. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? We, man, I can't stand a movie with a bad ending. I can't stand a movie where there's no resolution to the story and you're left wondering, what happened to them? Where are they? What, what's next? How many of you feel the same way? It ends and you go, wait a minute, what in the world? I just wasted two hours of my life. Here we have 28 chapters of God doing amazing things, establishing the church. This is the history of the first 30 years of the church. And it ends like this. The end of the story is almost never as we would have written it. Let me ask you a question. How has God done? Has he done well establishing the church? Has he done well giving us the scriptures? Has he done well preserving the scriptures? How about his plan for churches? Not for this huge megalith where everyone has to walk into the same church every day, but instead... Small churches all around the globe with only one link, and that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Individual, autonomous, local assemblies 
all over the globe. That's God's plan. You see, if God had raised up one great church in the city of Rome that everybody had to go into, he would have told us that. And then the problem is, if that church went bad, well, then you would only have an apostate church to belong to. God's plan is for local assemblies spread all over the globe. And it's interesting. Look at what happens. What's the next book after the book of Acts? Look at your Bible. It's the the book of Romans. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom also, I'm sorry, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Look at this. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Called to be saints. Who is that? Every believer in Rome. How are they called to be saints? By believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So from now on, I want you to refer to me as St. James. St. James. Anybody here saved today? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior? You are a saint of God. God, it's not that you do miracles and then a group of people come together and declare you a saint. My my favorite story about that is there's this guy, he was was just a reprobate, these two brothers. I mean, just the, the worst people you can imagine, criminals, whoremongers, just reprobates. And the one brother died. And his brother went to all the funeral homes, all the churches in town, and he said, I'll pay you $5,000 if you'll preach my brother's funeral and say he was a saint. No, nobody would do it because this guy's reputation was anything but a saint. He went to the Baptist preacher and he said, yeah, I'll do it. So he stands up at the funeral and says, Joe was a vile, reprobate, whoremonger, thief, murderer, but compared to his brother, he's a saint. <laughs> I think that, when you think of saint, I always think of that story. Isn't it wonderful that God has taken us, God, has saved us, and God has called us to be saints. Isn't that crazy? And it's not by anything that we do or have done. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we'll talk about that some more in a minute. But remember, we have Romans, and then you have First and Second Corinthians. That's to the churches at Corinth. And then you have Galatians, the church at Galatia. And then Ephesus, the church at the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. And Philippians, the church at Philippi. And Colossians, the church at Colossae. How many of you see a theme here? You see, it's God's plan for these churches to preach the truth and to stand in the truth, not to worship the Apostle Paul, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to learn from the Apostle Paul, to follow his example and his writings as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, but to establish individual local assemblies just like Grace Baptist Church. We're not special. We're just one of many that God has said, this is the work, this is the way that I want you to do my work in the world. Isn't that exciting? And we get, you guys aren't nearly excited. Isn't that exciting? We get to be a part of that work. But Paul 
ended up in prison. So the first thing that I want you to see is the end of the story is almost never as we would have written it. The second thing is that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. I would not have Paul sitting in that house restricted. I would not do that. I wouldn't have this man end his life, and I've actually been there to the Mamertine prison in Rome. It's such a desolate place. I can't imagine that's where the Apostle Paul ended up. I can't imagine that's what God did. But God had a plan in it, and it's amazing how well God's plan worked. God's ways are not our ways. Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, or you don't have to acknowledge it. I want you to just think about this. Are you where you would have planned your life to end up? Is your life what you thought it would be? Is this the story, the story that you're living? Is this the story that you would have written for you? You might have cancer. You didn't write that in your story. Your spouse may have left you. You didn't write that in your story. You may have a career that it's not quite what you had dreamed of. You didn't write that in your story. But is God still good? See, I think about different things that happen in my life. I'm not going to go through my own personal testimony this morning. But I could have never dreamed when I was a young man that I would end up in Sydney, Ohio. Now, it's turned out to be the best thing that could have ever happened to me. But I, would have ne- I didn't even know there was a Sydney, Ohio. Didn't know anything about it. My plans were different than this. Man, I was going to be an archaeologist. I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be in marketing and do what happened. I I was selling, and so they sent me to a sales training, and I had to sit through this guy. And they paid this guy 500 bucks each for us to be there. And I was sitting there thinking, man, I can do that. So I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Then uh, when I, I was finished up at Stillwater, you get to meet Dave McCracken. Um, I say he fired me. He says it was time for me to pastor. That's two different, two different things. But in that interim time, when I had preached here, Laura and I knew that this is where we were supposed to be. You guys hadn't decided yet. I was out mowing the church grass. I was sitting on the mower, and I was dreaming about what could I do. I thought about doing a political ministry where I'd go to churches and speak on politics. Can you imagine me wanting to do that? All these different ideas. I'd been in college ministry. I thought about going to different college campuses and doing debates and that kind of thing. And God had a church named Grace Baptist Church sitting in Sydney, Ohio. And we drove here 23 years ago now. And we got to Fair Road, the Fair Road exit. And Laura and I both knew this is where we were supposed to be. We'd never been here, didn't know anything about it. And this was not the story that I would have written. It's not the story that I would have written. I wouldn't have written the story to where we would have a son born and die when he's four and a half months old. I would not have written that into my story. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have written in my mother to get cancer and struggle with cancer for 20 years and all of those things that mom went through. And mom and dad really living in poverty toward the end of their lives because dad had these horrible fits of depression and struggled in the ministry. I would not have written that into my story. I wouldn't have written that into my story. And yet, God has used every bit of that to his glory. God's ways are not our ways. What has God written into your story that you would say, that's not the way that I would have written it? 
You know what the good news is? You can't write the end of your story either. God is writing it. God's ways are not our ways. Then, just like the Apostle Paul, our prison can become our pulpit. Our prison can become our pulpit. Or can become our pulpit. It's interesting. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, and he shouts to us in our pain. God whispers to us in our pleasure, and he shouts to us in our pain. It's so interesting. When you're going through something hard and you end up in a hospital, it's amazing the conversations that you can have in a hospital that you never would have had anywhere else. Because you're meeting with hurting people who need answers, and God has given you the answers as you're in that hospital. It's, the, it's a blessing to see when God's people witness to other people in the hospital. I can't help but think about Dr. Edwards as he was in the hospital, witnessing to every nurse that came in, giving the gospel to these people. You see, your prison can become your pulpit. As you're going through something difficult, now you have the chance to show. I heard a preacher say years ago, he said, I think every time a pagan gets cancer, a believer gets cancer so that God can see the difference. I'm sorry, so that the world can see the difference. So that the world can see the difference. See, the Bible says that we are to suffer not as those which have no hope, That we're to mourn, not as those which have no hope. I wouldn't write those things into your story. I wouldn't write those things into my story. But it's amazing the pulpit, the platform that God gives us when we are in trouble. I think in history of a couple of things that are interesting. There's a preacher named James Ireland. You can see his dates there. He lived from 1748 to 1806. He was from Edinburgh, Scotland. He had come to the United States. It was before the United States was founded. And he was called to become a pastor in Virginia, in Culpeper, Virginia. I, it, I always want to say it like a, a Culpeper, Culpeper, Virginia. So he was a preacher in Culpeper, Virginia. And in 1770, he was put in prison in the Culpeper jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was against the law to preach outside of the state church in Virginia in 1770. He was put in prison, and the people in the area hated the gospel being preached. What he would do is he would go to his window, and he would preach to any that would gather around to hear the word of God. So what did they do? They put a barrel of gunpowder under his cell and blew it up, tried to kill him. It did more damage to the jail than it did to him. God protected him in that place. So what they decided to do was suffocate him. So they took brimstone and this hot pepper plant and burned it outside of his door to fill his jail cell with poison and kill him. And God allowed him to continue preaching. He was having to take some medicine because he had gotten a horrible fever while he was in the jail. And they poisoned his medicine. They shared that medicine with his daughter because she had the fever as well, and she died. They killed his daughter. All he was doing was preaching the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all he was doing. He ended up writing letters from there. And he wrote an autobiography, but in his letters that he would send out, he called his palace in Culpeper. His palace in Culpeper. 
Do you think that James Ireland had written into his life story having his daughter killed for the gospel in the state of Virginia? Do you think he wrote that into his story? No, but his steadfast, he ended up getting out of prison. He fought in the Revolutionary War so that we could have religious liberty in the United States of America. I'm sure that James Ireland would not have written that into his story. There's another man in Virginia at that same time. His name is John Weatherford. He lived 1740 to 1733. 1773, he was put in prison. While he was in jail in Chesterfield County, Virginia, he was preaching. And he would stand at the jail cell and his whole church would come because he couldn't come to the service. His whole church would come and stand outside the jail while he preached. So while they're trying to silence him, they ended up having the meeting in a public place right in the center of town. And more people than ever fit into that church building would come to hear James Ireland preach. And he had his hands outside the the jail cell, outside the window, and he's preaching. And they came along with whips and knives and would cut his hands and his arms while he was trying to preach. They would bring people into his cell and they, they urinated on him while he was preaching. It was horrible the way they treated him. They ended up building a wall outside of the jail cell so no one could see him preach. So what they would do is they'd throw a rope over the wall and drop it down with a white handkerchief so he knew when everybody was there and he could start preaching. Do you think that John Weatherford had written that into his life story? Would you have written that into your life story, but his prison became his pulpit. You know, sometimes I think that for myself, man, I am so impatient. I get so frustrated with life. And there have been, I know that especially during this building project that I've had opportunities for my trouble to be a pulpit, but I've allowed it just to be a platform for complaining. You see, God brings things into our lives. He brings people into our lives to give us the opportunity to show his goodness and his greatness and his power. Your cell, your prison can become a platform. What what are you in right now that you're saying, I never would have written this for my life? What can God do with that? I think we all know that whenever we read a story of someone who's gone through trouble and God has led them through it, that that's very moving to us. Would you all agree with that? Nobody agrees with that. How many of you would agree with that? Why do you think that your story would be any less powerful for someone else? See, everything that God has brought you through is for a reason. It's for a purpose. Your prison can become a platform. Then our struggle can become an epistle for others to read. Our struggle can become an epistle for others to read. Wouldn't it be wonderful as if someone looked at your life and said, man, if they can make it through that, I can make it through what I'm going through. Or they come to you and they say, how did you make it through this? And you can say, you know what? I don't have any idea. The only thing I can say is God. I can't tell you how many times I've had the opportunity to talk with people about our son Riley when he went home to be with the Lord and how that Laura and I, our relationship became stronger. Our faith became stronger. Why is that? 
Other people go through, through things like that, and they end up getting divorced because they can't look at each other in the pain. How many of you know people that have gotten divorced after the loss of a child? The marriage can't sustain it. Why did it not work that way for Laura and I? Because we're good people, we're better people? No, not at all. The only thing I can say when I didn't have any idea what to do and all I could do is bury my face in a pillow and say, oh God, that's all I could say. Oh, I I couldn't confess. I couldn't pray. I couldn't ask. I couldn't do anything. And there's no way I could tell you how many times I've had the opportunity to explain to other people the peace that passes all understanding. I can't tell you how this works. I don't know, but let me just tell you something. I have a great God who is the great physician, and he is the amazing storyteller that wrote the story of my life in a way that I never would have written, and yet it's better than I ever could have imagined. I try to tell you young people this all the time. I want you to have the life that I have. I don't want you to be like me. Be like Laura. I don't want you to be like me but I want you to have the life that I have. I want you to have the life that we have. We work hard. It's very busy. It can be stressful, all of those things. But God has given us a life so far beyond anything I could have ever dreamed. That's what I want for you guys. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Young ladies, I want you to think about this. Laura didn't marry a pastor. I was in business. I was in sales. I I didn't want to be poor. I was going to make a lot of money. But when I said, I think God wants him to be a pastor, what Laura said was, I married you. And wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. And let me tell you something. Because she married me, her life is awesome. No, no, it's it's, (laughs) not. Our life has just been fantastic because I married a godly lady. Now, guys, I wish that it was spiritual. What were you looking for? Somebody will ask me in in a wife. Pretty? 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 (laughs) But I went to a place where there was a godly lady. And God gave me a godly lady And I hadn't written Laura into my story. I had written a girl named Julie into my story. And I said to Julie, I think I might love you. She laughed out loud. It was terrible. Can I tell you something? She's so much greater for me than Julie ever could have been because God had written Laura into my life. I want you guys to have the kind of life that we have. Has there been trouble? Sure. I'm just telling you, the joy, the peace, the contentment, the blessing of God being able to invest in others, that's what I want for you guys to have. Your life can be an epistle for someone else to read. And I want you to notice this. This is pretty interesting to me. Look at this. While in this prison, Paul writes Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. From this prison. Do you think Paul would have written that into his life? Let me ask you this. Has Colossians ever helped you? How about Philippians? How about Ephesians? Has that ever helped you at all? 
You see, his prison, his struggle became an epistle for us to read. That was God's plan. Think about this. The next time, so he gets out of prison for a brief time from 63 to 66. The next time he returns to it, he completes Titus and 2 Timothy. These passages of scripture where the apostle Paul says, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. He wrote that the next time that he was in prison. You see, your struggle can become an epistle for someone else to read. And here's what we don't understand. People are watching us. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a business and I'm doing something for the building. I called a landscaper and they said, man, your building looks great. I was at the body shop and they said, man, your building looks great. I love the way you tied the old in with the new. I didn't even know these people knew who I was. You see, our life is an epistle for others to read and our struggle can become an epistle for them to read. We don't write the end of the story. We don't write the end. Who knows what's in store for us? We don't have any idea. But go to that Hebrews passage. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 2. Let's start reading in verse 1. Hebrews 12. Look at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So those are all the people from Hebrews 11, that hall of fame that's in the Bible. Hall of faith, it's called sometimes. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I ran cross country when I was in high school, not because I wanted to, but if I was on the soccer team, I had to run cross country. So we went to Chester, Vermont or New Hampshire. I can't remember where it is for this soccer meet and cross-country thing. And it really was cross-country. Man, you're just running. All of a sudden, you're in the woods. There's, there's roots in the way. There's all these kinds of things. And I had to run this, this course. And I didn't have any idea. Somebody else had laid out that course. And we didn't get to walk it ahead of time. We, didn't, we just had to run it. We didn't have any idea what was there. That's your life. God has set a course for you. There are only two courses that you can run. There's either the course of this world, according to Ephesians chapter 2, that everyone in the world is walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So there's the course that Satan has set out for this world. It's interesting. People think they're free. They think they're making their own decisions. The Bible says that they're slaves. They're taken captive by Satan according to his will. Have you all been to an amusement park where the kids can drive the cars? Have you ever done that? We were at Disney World years ago with the kids, and they had, you know, remember where you can buy a $20 turkey leg? You know, starve to death because it's too expensive. But we're, we're at Disney, and the kids could drive the car. They had the gas pedal and the brake and the steering wheel, and they could drive it because there was a rail underneath it. So they had some leeway, but if they got over too far, that rail would put them back on the course. See, here you think that as you live in the world, you're making your own choices and you're making your own decisions. Within certain parameters, you are. But Satan has designed a world system that we are living in 
that causes us to make decisions according to his will. And now when we get saved, the Bible says in you, in that same passage, Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, who walked according to the course of this world. That's what it says. Now you have the ability to submit to the word of God and to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Now you can make biblical decisions, but those biblical decisions will take you away from the course of this world. God wants you to walk according to his will. First John says it this way. You say you believe in him. How many of you believe in Jesus? You say you believe in him, then walk even as he walked. There's a way that he wants us to live. We don't write the end of that story. We don't know where that course is going to take us. We're just supposed to run the race. Now look at the next verse. Look at verse 2. How are we going to run it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, we don't write the end of the story. Jesus does. He's the author of my faith and he's the finisher of my faith. Here's the thing, folks. This is, this is it. I'm done. It's so important for us to recognize this. So important for us to understand it. No one can get saved on their own. Your good works can never take you to heaven. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You know, I was quoting Ephesians 2 a minute ago, the course of this world, and you hath he quickened. A few verses later, do you know what it says? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation must be received as a gift. It must be received as a gift. Jeffrey, come up here for a minute. Who here knows what I'm about to do? Okay, Jeffrey, come on up here. How old are you? I was this size when I was 16, but I couldn't find clothes. So, I... so Jeffrey, I've got this pen. It's a nice pen. I want to make it a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. Now, in order to keep that pen, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. Well, why'd you give it back? Because it's not a gift. Thank you. This is a smart young man. See, everyone understands, who, who has a basic understanding of Christianity, that salvation is by faith and that you have to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that that's the basic understanding of Christianity? The problem with much of Christianity is that faith is only part of the salvation. You have to also do things to be able to keep it. If you have to do something, it's not a gift. If you have to earn it, it's not a gift. When you get paid every week, do you go to your boss and say, thank you so much for this wonderful gift. What did I do to deserve this? Now, sometimes your boss might say, what did you do to deserve that? I don't know. Why do I pay you? It's really important that we understand that salvation is a gift. And if someone says that you have to go to church in order to be able to keep that gift, it's not a gift. If someone says you have to be baptized in order to keep that gift, it's not a gift. If someone says that you have to join a church in order to receive that gift, it's not a gift. 
See, Jesus is the author of our faith, but he's also the finisher of it. I don't finish my story. Jesus Christ, he wrote it and he finishes it. Praise God for that. I would not have written my story this way. But do you know how my story ends? In eternity with our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, do I deserve that? No, the older I get, the worse I would write my end because I know how sinful I am. I'm so thankful that salvation is of grace and it's not of works. Has Jesus written your story? Are you walking according to the course of this world or are you wanting to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? It's so important that we understand from these lessons from Rome that God had a plan for the Apostle Paul that Paul wouldn't have written for himself. His ways are not our ways. We don't get to write our end, but our prison can become a pulpit. Our struggle can become an epistle for someone else to read. And that Jesus Christ is going to write the end to my story. And that end is going to be so much greater than I could have ever written. I don't know what you're going through in life right now, but I can promise you this. God has written a great end for you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says this about those who don't know Jesus. The end is worse than the beginning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you asked him to save you? What does that mean to ask him to save you? Just say, Jesus, man, I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell. But I believe that you were born of a virgin, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Not just the sins of everybody else. You died for me. I believe that. And I'm asking you to save me. I believe that you're God. That when you died and you rose from the dead, that proved that you're God. I believe that. And I can't save myself. Will you please save me, Jesus? I know I can't give you anything. I know you don't need anything from me. Please save me. Forgive me for my sin and be my Savior. If you'd like to do that today, you can do that right now, this morning. And eternity can be your home. And that will be Jesus Christ being the author of your faith but also the finisher of it. I I like this verse. For the which cause I also suffer these things, Paul wrote. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, that's Jesus, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He's the author and finisher of our faith. I want God to write the end of my story because it'll be so much better than I could have ever written. I'm glad that my story's not over. I'm glad that that I've got today. Now, he doesn't promise us tomorrow. But I'm glad that I get to see what God has written for me. And young people, I can promise you this. If you'll give God the the steering wheel of your life, he'll write a story for you greater than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to come to a place like this and to worship together, to study your word, to believe your word.